How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Yeah, wild, thunderous applause. It's really good as always, Mark. Wonderful, wonderful doing? voice. It's good. It's all good. How have you been doing? What's been happening? Doing, doing good. Doing good. Wrapping up the year, right? Thinking of the year-end stuff and starting to look toward 2023 goals and resolutions and all that fun stuff. What yeah. about you? What are yeah, you up to? Same. Sort of looking back and I've been asking people what they're most proud of as they look back on 2022. So I'll ask you, Mark, what are you most proud of as you look back on 2022? You know, it might sound trite, but I'm I'm super proud of my kids right now. They're all three in a very good place, doing really well, working really hard, and uh, and doing the best that they can in every moment as they can. How about you, Dr. Joe? What are you most proud of? You've been thinking about this, obviously, a little bit. Yeah, no, you know, I I think I'm... I'm really proud that that we as Riverside Community Care, the our chief medical officer, have been awarded two of these large CBHC grants, community behavioral health centers, which we're going to be building, um, and really hoping to change accessibility for people to come in for mental health, behavioral health, substance use care. I'm very proud of Riverside. Um, it's really it's really a, a remarkable group of people that I, I get a chance to work with on a regular basis. Very proud of that. That's awesome. So with, with that in mind of what people are proud of, I'm very proud to have our two guests tonight. Tom, could you please introduce them? Absolutely. Tonight, Dr. Joe, we have Rebecca Ladd and Dr. John Jordan. Rebecca Ladd is an educator, artist, classical musician, and dog lover. She spent 30 years as a reading specialist. After the suicide death of her son in 2010, she has slowly transformed into a new person. She embraced the deep grief and the changes that have come. She is now focused on sharing her story and the tools used for the evolution. She welcomes all questions and feels she has many skills to help others both understand the trauma of violent death and the steps needed for healing. She sings classical music, creates all types of art, especially wood turning and mandala making, is attuned to the natural world, adores all dogs, and loves the absurd. John Jack Jordan has been a licensed psychologist in private practice in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, where he has specialized in work with survivors of suicide and other traumatic losses for almost 45 years. Lastly, he's one of the founding members of the Massachusetts Suicide Postvention Task Force, an ad hoc group of professionals who are working to develop support infrastructure in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and by extension, the rest of New England. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Yeah, Thank you. welcome, both of you. So appreciate you being here tonight. And Thank you for asking us. You know, it's it's a pleasure. Just just so people know, I I got a chance to to meet uh, Dr. Jack Jordan and, and Becky Ladd when they were doing a presentation for Riverside, which was very powerful. And I took a chance and asked them if they would like to come and talk about a little bit different subject uh, on the Dr. Joe show, but still connecting with suicide and how powerful that is. So I really appreciate. You guys being here, let me just ask, Becky, how, how did you first um, 
meet up with, with Dr. Jack Jordan? Well, my son, David, committed suicide in January of 2010. He was 22 years old and he was the apple of my eye, the, my beloved, and it destroyed me. And I died when I found, I found him and I, I died and I couldn't get out of my grief. I could not come out of this horrifying grief that I was in. And it, it was all consuming physically and mentally and socially and spiritually. I was in physical pain. I was in emotional pain, I was every kind of pain. And I couldn't ever come out of it. And I went to see some counselors who did things like told me to go bowling and, um, you know, I need to stop grieving. I had to get over it. David wouldn't like that, which basically just makes you feel ashamed but doesn't stop your grief. And I was looking around on the internet for like people who won't stop grieving, people who refuse to stop grieving or something, something like that. And I ran across this um, PowerPoint by a guy named Dr. John Jordan called, about complicated grief. So I read the PowerPoint and I thought, oh my God, this is me. This is me. This is exactly me. So I found, you know, did a Google search on him and found that he was in uh, outside of Boston. And so I called him and I said, you know, I think I have complicated grief. My son committed suicide. I wonder if you see any cl new clients. And I'm, he calls me back and tells me that he's actually moved to Pawtucket, R Rhode Island, which was about eight minutes away from me at that point mm -hmm. and um, would see me. So I went to see him for the first time. And I was part of a suicide support group for years and that didn't help me recover from the grief. It just helps you realize other people are there with you. And I um, went in and he, I talked to him and he told me that he would help me in certain ways with visualization. And the biggest one is that he would help me have a continuing relationship with my son. Whereupon I thought to myself, this guy is insane. He's a crackpot. He's dead. Does any, does this guy not understand that dead people are dead? And how can I possibly have a continuing relationship with a dead person? So I almost didn't go back because I really thought he was nuts. And luckily I went back and discovered that over the years of our therapy, that he in fact was correct. And, um, Visualization is only one of the techniques he used, but I do now have a continuing relationship with my son. And that is what has led to this kind of transformation of me. So yeah. that's my story. Yeah. And we're going to hear much, much more about that. Remarkable. Dr. Jack Jordan, how on earth did you come up with the idea of a continued relationship? Oh, I, I didn't come up with it. Um, I, in thanatology, which is my home field, but most people don't know what that word means at all, but it's from the Greek god Thanatos, the god of death. Um, for a number of years, maybe 15, 20 years, there's been a lot of discussion about uh, the idea that, that one of the tasks for people who are grieving is to develop an ongoing connect continuing bond is the language that's used with their loved one um, we see death as a rupturing of the relationship which surely it is but it is possible to 
rework that and have an ongoing uh, relationship. I used to say to clients, your task isn't to let go. Your task is to find a different way to hold on hmm. to the connection to the person who died. And so it, it wasn't me that came up with it, but I learned that from some of the people that were originally introduced that idea into the into the the field and it's really profoundly influenced me in the way i would i would do clinical work with people the field mental health is traditionally thought uh thanks to mainly to freud that what the task of for grieving people is to let go is to say goodbye and accept the reality of the death and to let go um and that's not what grieving people want to do they want to or can they nor nor can they really that's right becky um and and they uh instead if you think of the task as finding a different way to stay connected and close to the person who died um that becomes a, a more a real a real goal that people can work towards rather than saying goodbye and and just accepting what feels unacceptable you know to people hmm. Thanatology. I think Thanos, I think our listeners may recognize that name of Thanos because, yes. because they have watched the Avenger movies and Thanos, his whole goal was to destroy half the population um, in his somewhat blinded way of saying, this is what's going to be good for everybody is if half of us aren't here. And it was random selection that's that's quite an aspirational goal you know <laughs> it it is it was um quite something but but i think um i think people are sadly so familiar now with suicide and with death and with this this loss that we all have dr jordan what what is the what is the strategy uh, to to help folks feel connected to the person who's passed? That's a good. That's a big question, but a good question. Um, I mean, often the first piece of work is for to give people permission to do it, mm-hmm. because a lot of the messages that people get, particularly after you know a year or, or two, is like you need to get over this, and the yeah. implication is you need to let go of that person they're gone you need to accept that um so that's the sort of to counter the cultural message of getting over it um there are lots of ways becky can talk about some that that she and i worked on um to help people find a way of uh communicating with inside themselves or communicate for communicating with uh in a in a more powerful way the person who died um and we can think of them as being uh, with us, guiding us, helping us. Uh, you know, for example, my, my father died when I was in my mid-20s. And it was before I was ready and before he was ready to for us to be separated. But I've come to un- feel like, uh, in a way that's very powerful, that my, you know, my father, who was a teacher, um, is often helping me or guiding me, particularly if I need him. Uh, for something and I ask for his help and and I oftentimes I've come to realize I feel like I'm receiving it so it's it's a matter of testing that out and then having experiences that sort of confirm it 
uh, for you. But there's lots of ways that you can write letters to the person that died. You can uh, have guided visualization in conversations with the person um, who died. There are a lot of ways to feel closer. Talking to people who knew that person well, you know, actually helps create a, a biography or a narrative of who they were. So there's a lot of techniques, if you will, for fostering a sense of continuing connection. Why Why was our culture so adamant on telling people to get over it? I mean, mm. one of the things I say, you, you, this is something you, you never get over, but you have to come to terms with it. Yes. But why do you think our culture was saying, you know, if you're talking with a person who is not here anymore, you know, we're going to send you to a psych hospital? Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's a good question, because in many cultures, the, that isn't seen as strange behavior at all it's seen as normative big mm. behavior often you have to use uh, some kind of intermediary you know a priest or a medium or something like that but it's not seen as as abnormal or pathological holding on i i don't know if i know the answer to that except that we are focused on in in sort of western modern western culture we are focused on uh continuing on and achieving things and it's it can feel like if you're not focused on the future, um, then you're 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 not contributing to society, and you're going to be left out. Yeah. I have a strange I have a strange thought about that, and uh, probably this is the place to bring it out. But I my my father used to talk a lot about puritanical influences on Western culture, and especially American culture, and. Um, I know that a lot of people, especially when I was growing up and my ex-husband had this idea that if you went to see a medium or a psychic, especially a medium, that you were being conned or that it was an evil, that was sort of an evil influence. Mm -hmm. And it was a negative devil worshiping kind of thing. And I wonder how pervasive that, that has been in our culture, that it is something satanic that you are doing if you talk to dead people interesting yeah. it's i don't but i i don't have any empirical evidence for that but it occurs to me that that people still say those negative things about mediums yeah yeah the other thing is that we live in a culture that is is in which the acquisition of reality of knowledge and the truth is done through the scientific method Right. And in the scientific right. method, you can't right. prove that there's an afterlife, okay, mm. at least so far. And so a lot, a lot of people think, well, that's all just superstitious religious belief. When you're dead, you're dead. That's the end of it. And I think that's so dominant in our culture, and it's gotten our culture a lot of things, um, you know, positive things, good things. But um, there may be just that that's seen as primitive, you know, to to continue to believe in, 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 in an afterlife kind of. So I think a lot of people are not sure about what whether there is an afterlife or not. And it used to be that, of course, everybody believes in an afterlife. You know, the, the Bible tells us that or whatever. And that was just a taken for granted kind of thing, you know? And, and so Becky, how, how are you coming to terms with this? I mean, 2010, it's over a decade ago, but tell us. Yeah. Well, that was a second ago. That was just about a second ago. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, I I have been just transformed by 
by this terrible thing. And, and at first I was caught like in an iron maiden, you know, and everybody else was talking about their trips to Disney and what we were supposed to do at work. And I was just bleeding to death from um, despair and the, and the horror of what had happened and the pain. And very slowly, I started thinking a couple things. One was maybe I need to open my mind to what I think I know and what I think to be true. Maybe I need to change and allow myself to think things I didn't think before. I also read a whole bunch of books by neuro a neurologist. One was a neurologist who studied after-death communication and people who had had after-death experiences. And he found that all across the world, people were having the same exact after-death experience. Hmm. And that the premise of the book is that we believe that when we die, our consciousness dies. And that through all of these thousands upon thousands and upon thousands of studies of people who have had after-death experiences, it seems that our consciousness does not in fact end when our biological brain dies. And that really made an impact on my newly awakening consciousness, which was like, hey, maybe I don't actually know what I'm talking about. And I started realizing, and also, I started realizing that my logical brain, which was running the show all the time and telling me what society wanted and what I was supposed to believe and what made me a good person and what made me acceptable to other people was actually kind of my enemy. And it was just trying to keep me in the same place forever. And that if I thought instead with what everybody's talking about now, with my intuition, with my heart, with my gut, that that was telling me a very different story about what was true. And if I started actually just allowing myself to believe in intuition and that, you know, that creepy, you know, I've always known when people are creepy, you know, I always know when someone's creepy, I know they're a creep, you know, you can tell, you know, you can always know when you're like in a situation which seems to be a frightening situation, you know, perfectly well. And when I started believing my intuition, my gut, and I stopped listening to my logical mind so much about and what society wanted me to believe. And I started believing that it was possible that uh, my consciousness was not just in my physical body. Then I started being open to the idea that maybe I, David's consciousness could exist. And, um, once David and I connected and I could hear him in my head and he would tells me things that I can't possibly make up, you know, I don't know. And I started having a real living relationship with my very dead son, which it changes everything because then you have a relationship with a dead person. So what does death mean? Everything we know is not what we think if there isn't a death and it's just the death of an organism. So I now believe in the impossible and now understand that we are both, we live in both seen and unseen worlds, which is extremely Christian, by the way, it's right in the Nicene Creed, <laughs> maker of all things, seen and unseen. 
And so for the people who think this is against Christianity, it's completely connected to Christianity and to every other religion. We There is an unseen world we don't know about, or we don't I, see, <laughs> but it still exists. Just to amplify this, I remember reading a book that influenced me a lot, I don't know, probably 20 or 25 years ago. I don't remember the author's name, but the book was called Soul Search. And basically, this this author said that we we have come to think of the brain as as you know what teaches us about the real world. The the sensory input to the brain teaches us about the real world. And he said what the brain really is is a enormous filter, and it filters out most of what the world is, um, and that we need to do that probably to survive as you know Homo sapiens and society in that and he he postulated that what if we flip that upside down and thought that when you die your consciousness expands rather than it goes away or vanishes or evaporates and what if this expanded consciousness is uh about you know the the universe and the connectedness of everything rather than the separateness of of um everything which is you know what i I'm more of a, I see myself as a Buddhist, which is a, a lot of what Buddhism is about, is about awakening right. to that. And and I thought, wow, that's really interesting. What if when we die, we actually wake up, you know, yeah. rather than rather than live in samsara, you know, the the world of the, of ego and delusion. And that, that started sort of my journey in terms of thinking about this stuff. But it has real clinical utility in terms of understanding and finding finding ways to encourage people to think about their loved one as continuing in some way in a way that you can continue, which softens. It doesn't end. I mean, we still biologically want them back, by physically, biologically, the way that we had them before. But it opens the door to, as Becky said, death having a different meaning than just they are forever gone and separate from us. Yeah. It makes me think of uh, Dr. Joe, you, you talk often about uh, baby brains, how when you're a baby, your sense of self is deeply connected with everything else around it's you. It's fused with everything. Yeah. yeah. Right. Whereas yeah. as we grow older, maybe it's not that our consciousness is developing, but rather budding. Yeah. Like, like how a sponge buds off of a, a larger sponge. The, sponges bud off of larger sponges? I did not know that. I think okay, so. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> Just that sponge, was that SpongeBob or SpongeBob? No. So, um, <laughs> both. ¿Por qué no los dos? Probably both. No. no los the, dos? The, the, the infant brain is developing the ability to find differences. Um, it's, it's one of the major components of, of how a child's brain develops. Um, is being able to compare sets of information. Um, that's why we have something called stranger anxiety. You can't have a stranger anxiety until you can compare the face that you know to a face. This, this is not mommy. Know. That's Who's right. Leaning and over my crib, you know. Many people would think is a pretty heavy subject, which is, you know, the suicide completion of a loved one. Um, and yet... Becky, you were saying it was also transformational for you. 
So I think people would love to hear about that. It's crazy. It's crazy to take someone who was destroyed and my whole life was destroyed. My marriage was destroyed. My children moved out. I for my house was foreclosed on. I got, it became ill. I lost my job. Everything was destroyed. And my son was dead. And my favorite dog in the whole universe also died simultaneously in a six month period. And I am now a new person. I am, I literally am filled with joy, which is so improbable that it, I can't even believe I'm saying that. It doesn't seem possible that I'm saying that, but I am. Well, I'm, a, I'm filled with joy. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just hearing this because so many people, I think, would just turn their face to the wall and say, I'm, I'm done. And it sounds well, I, like part of that yeah. happened as well at the beginning. Well, I never turned my face to the wall. And I actually call it crawl under your bed and drink yourself to death. Is that why okay. I say it? Okay. Um I never did that. I was always trying. Like I went to support groups. I went to a suicide support group. I, I got therapists. I, you know, I tried to do all sorts of things, but, and it was a, a whole bunch of things that came together that had a transformational effect on me. There's not one thing. One big thing for me is creativity. And I find that by making something and I, Every day I make things, I make things, I make things. It doesn't matter what you name, I make it. You know, I make spoons, I make bowls, I make paintings, I make, I paint, I sew, I knit, I carve, I, you know, I, whatever. I, this, I, won't, I won't stop, I've got a problem. That's a big one. I think that the natural world is a very, very big thing. Most of these things are free. I think that dogs, and I've heard of cats being this way, but I don't really believe it, but dogs are transformational. <laughs> And um, in a weird way, I have recently have rejoined. I didn't even believe in God. And I now am part of a church it, just this year, though. And it's been, you know, this will be the 13th year that he died in January. And that has been really, really good. And I sing. I sing music, as classical music. And but you were asking how in the break, how um, Dr. Jordan helped me with this. One of the things he did is he helped me visualize David as a happy person. And he made me physically put David in a place that I could imagine him being. So I imagined him living in a stone house with my parents and he had a motor, you know, and I got to give him what I want. I gave him a motorcycle and I gave him a pit bull and, you know, and he was blacksmithing and I was able to find him in my brain once Jack and I worked on that because I was searching and searching and searching for him. Where is he? Where is my kid? Where has he gone? He cannot be gone forever. He can't be, but where is he? And I didn't believe in God. And I was not going to be that person who was conned by a religion. I was not going to be conned by a medium or a psychic. I wasn't going to be that person. I'm going to be that idiot who was like conned by all those people. And by that, you know, just religion is the opiate of the masses. I'm not going to be that person. And so I didn't have any place where he was. So we visualized a sort of heaven situation for him and that helped me tremendously. And I did all of these other things, walking, being with dogs, creating things, having personal relationships with good people who helped me and didn't make, tell me to get over it. And um, 
then I read this book by Alan Botkin called Induced After Death Communication. And he found that by doing EMDR, actually Jack can probably talk about this more than I can, EMDR with his um, patients who were vets, that they frequently would go into the EMDR and then meet the person who had caused the great trauma and then came out of the EMDR saying, hey, I talked to them. It's great. They're fine. They're happy. They said, it's no, we stop grieving. So get over it. And they came out and they had no grief anymore because they had met the person and talked to the person who had caused the trauma to begin with. So I said to Jack, okay, we've got to do this. And Jack's like, I don't know anything about it. So then I'll let him talk. So what did Jack do at that point? <laughs> well, I just, I, I actually had heard about Alan's work uh, uh, before I was working with Becky, but just, I heard a little, little bit and I just put it on the shelf and thought that's interesting. But I heard about it again and Becky brought it up. Uh, and my daughter, he's been out in the Chicago area working at a VA hospital. Uh, with combat vets and I uh, was going out to visit my daughter who lives in Chicago and I thought I'm going to see if I can meet him so I contacted him and introduced myself and said could we have lunch together and he said sure so we met and had lunch I was impressed I was in part quite frankly I was trying to see if he was for real if he was a quack or something or just exploiting bereaved people or something and um, um, he's a PhD psychologist by the way and so uh, I thought, this guy's for real. I said, would you teach me how you do this? And he said, sure. So I went and had a day of private training with him, and he taught me his method. And I came back, and the first person I did the method with was Becky. So Jack told me, um, so I finally got trained with Botkin, and I was like, what? And I was like, do it. Let's do it right now. And he said, doesn't work with people who really want to do it really wanted to happen. I said, I don't care. I've been looking for my kid for seven years, screaming at the heavens, you know, give him back. I want him. And um, so we did it. And, and as we did the, the MDR and he did the MDR, did the MDR, then suddenly I heard, hey, Ma, I'm right here. Mm. And it was my son, David. And he proceeded just to talk to me. And I hear him as sort of the sound of your own thoughts. You turn off your own thoughts and you just listened to the words that are in your head. You don't hear a sound. I don't see him. I just hear the sound of words that are not my words. And he tells me everything. I will tell you that he spends a huge percent of his time talking about what God is and what the me what the whole universe is about and what love is and how everything is connected all the stuff that you hear in every religion and every philosophy good philosophy is all the stuff he talks about he just talks about it like i'm like really can you just help me with like the laundry or something and no he wants to tell me that god is love and god is light we are all light beings he says and that all these problems on earth are lessons in how to love I'm like, really? I'm not really interested in this, but this is what he tells me. He, and so I get to talk to him all the time. And I have learned that I don't need EMDR at all. When Jack and I were doing it, I was like, can you do that? Can I can do this on my own? Jack and I were like, oh, we don't know. So I went home and I did the EMDR myself. And then I realized I didn't need the EMDR. I didn't need the pen waving in front of my face. I just needed to quiet my own thoughts mm -hmm. 
and just listen. And now I can do it easily. You get better at it. You know, you get, learn how to turn off your own thinking and just listen. And he's still himself. He is still hilariously funny. He's irreverent. He makes suicide jokes. Um, he is still, he corrects my usage of words. Uh, he was a huge word person. And a matter of fact, he says I'm doing more speaking. He was like, Ma, you really need to let me do it because I'm honestly a better public speaker than you are. <laughs> <laughs> which Just is entirely true. And uh, so. And which would have been characteristic of David. Oh, completely. You know, so yeah. he's, he's still his hilarious personality, wordy guy, word guy, um, still interested in I, medieval things. I like the, the, the fact that he told you once, I, I would have had to leave Earth anyhow because of Trump. Yeah. <laughs> well, he would have had to commit suicide anyway. Commit suicide, right. That's what I mean, is he would have had to kill himself just to get away from Trump, you know. So, I thought, so wow, we're not allowed to say this, Jack. Right, it's a, it's a major know. podcast to millions of people. That's, so okay. that's true. So, but <laughs> just I just want people to to know EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Reprocessing. Um, and uh, it's it's a remarkable technique and intervention. And you know, at some point, the Dr. Joshua will explore it in more depth. But it it seems to have worked. Was there a downside to it at all, though, Becky? I mean, was it? Was it like no down, no downside? I get to talk to my most beloved person in the whole universe whenever I want, mm -hmm. and he tells me like if I were alive, I would probably still being being a jerk and contemptuous of you, how stupid you were as a mother. But here I am, and we're so close. I'm part of you. You're part mm -hmm. of me, and we are closer than we ever could be if I were on the earth. It, it, he's there's no downside there's no evil there's no negative part it's just him making silly jokes and um telling me about the nature of the universe which i didn't know would be happening i had no clue that that would be part of the part talking about talking to dead people that he insists on talking about so i i, I have spiritual a, thing. a powerful question that you may choose not to answer which is fine um, I couldn't answer everything. Go ahead. But have you asked him why? Oh, yeah, of course I have. Um, he was, I mean, I know why, though. I mean, I, yeah. I knew why right yeah. before. I, he was someone who was suicidal starting from the age of 10. Hmm. He had thought he had caused his grandfather's death. My father died of cancer. And somehow in his little mind, he thought he had caused his grandfather to die. Hmm. he became he decided he said i'm going to kill myself when he was 10 and a half about six months after my father died and he was someone who had really serious depression so he killed himself on that day because he was very depressed he had he had been bro had broken up from his beloved girlfriend and that day he found a picture of her kissing someone hmm. and that was it that was he wasn't he was too young. He was too emotional, you know, too depressed. He's, you know, he's very regretful, but that he did it, but he, um, very sorry that he caused me so much pain. That's a better way of putting it. Powerful. Yeah. 
So it's just the knowledge of this other world and my intimacy, my deep intimacy with my son has taken away my pain, my grief. I, I have to admit, I'd, I'd do anything to see him for five minutes, but I now really understand that I'm not, I'm not going to have to worry about that. I'm going to see him. I am going to punch him in the face when I <laughs> come through the tunnel and the loved one is there waiting for me. I'm then going to punch him in the face. You'd be surprised how many people have told me the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven is kill him. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> well, I wonder how that will be. And hopefully we'll, we'll be able to hear about it in some way. We'll, we'll all know in some way, sometime in our, in due time. Yeah. It's, um, it's a remarkable story to be able to stay in touch with someone who other people would think are not there, but yeah. you know he's there. Mark, I'm just wondering, how is this sitting with you? I mean, you you have um, three sons, and well, it's well that there's that part of it that's not sitting well. But what is sitting well is is uh, what Dr. Jordan was talking about with his father. I experience very similar experiences when I call to you know help. And I feel very close. And it's oftentimes when I'm in line at a wake or or some one of my close friends or family members has uh, experienced loss, I share this with them a lot. And in that moment in time, when, you know, that awkwardness, I'm sorry for your loss and everybody, nobody really knows exactly what to say, depending on the relationship that I have with the person, I, I share with them to stay open-minded because they will come and visit with you and you can experience that connectedness if you remain open to it. And I believe it because I experience it and you can't speak with everybody about that because a lot of people will, you know, side eye you and think you're crazy, but I feel it. I believe it. And I'm, kind of sitting back in awe a little bit. Tom, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think about this probably more than I should. Uh, and, it, you know, it's an open secret that for ever since I was a teenager, I've had like suicidal thoughts, uh, you know, never more than the nine or 10 on your scale, Dr. Joe, but I'd say hovering between five and eight. Mm. Uh, and it's... It's never, it's never gone completely, but just listening always puts things in perspective and death, uh, you know, again, I think about it probably more than I should. Like we talked about with uh, Rabbi Rami. Yeah. There's no way of explaining death that doesn't sound crazy. If mm. you ask me. Yeah. Uh, like we, I was talking about like the, 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 the fallback is always, no matter what, it's not going to be my problem. Mm-hmm. Like, even if if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, it's not like I'll know. So, so you you see death as the end of you? Uh, not necessarily. No? Uh, okay. I'm, like I like I say, I think about it a lot. Uh, okay. I, I'm not I'm not convinced at all that it's the end. In fact, I've listened to a lot of uh, a few audio books on near death experiences as well. I've read that this book. I yeah. forget the author. Proof of Heaven. Yeah, uh, even Alexander, even Alexander, I've read yeah. that as too. 
And yeah. I've actually talked to him personally about this. Oh, oh, hmm. yeah. Dr. Joe, we, you, know, you know, maybe a sequel yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah. So this guy was as dead as dead can be. Like, yes. you know, a skeptic. Yeah. Skeptics will say that, like, after after near death experiences is just the brain, you know, shutting down. This guy's brain was like applesauce. Like it was yeah. gone. And he <laughs> yeah. described his his experience. And it damn if it doesn't sound like that yeah. pretty much any religion. He, his book is the one that really started my thinking off. And I was like, this guy is not a crackpot. He's a he's a he's a brain surgeon. He's a scientist, yeah. Yeah. It, it is so interesting. Yeah. You know, you were talking earlier about um, the way people were saying there's the logical brain, which really sort of translates to our prefrontal cortex, which is the more modern part of our brain, rational, solving problems and anticipating what will happen next. And then there's that believing, that intuition brain, that primitive limbic brain that long, long predates the prefrontal cortex from an evolutionary point of view. I think one of the real unforeseen consequences of being able to foresee the future with our prefrontal cortex was being able to anticipate death mm -hmm. and anticipating I may no longer exist, mm -hmm. uh, at least in the way that I know. And what I'm hearing, and, and it's just incredibly spiritual and, and uplifting, is that it doesn't have to end. Mm. It well, doesn't I, have to end. Yeah. Mm. Well, my message is it, it actually doesn't end. You know, whether I, you want it to end or not, yeah. it doesn't end. <laughs> and so, so with that in mind, Becky and, and Dr. Jordan, um, you know, the, the Dr. Joe show is based on the I am approach, the idea that no one is broken, that we're always doing the best we can at every moment in time. If we don't like it, we can change it. But we're influenced by four domains, your home domain, the social domain, which is the rest of the world. These two domains are outside. And then the two internal domains of your biological domain and the IC. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? Because the four domains interact, a small change in any one domain can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything. So with that in mind, I'm going to start with you, Dr. Jordan. Um, what small change can you recommend to our listeners, given the topic we're talking about tonight? Okay. And, and are we assuming that many, if not most of the listeners to this particular program uh, have been impacted by suicide in their life, losing someone, or yeah, is that I, I'm a not, reasonable assumption. It is a reasonable assumption. I, I'm and I'm not sure that there's anyone on the planet who hasn't been impacted hasn't been in some impacted. way. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I th I think what I would say is um, um, I guess a couple of things. Becky's I think going to amplify this, but but understand that you can view your loss in a way that says i don't have to end the connection with them and that's a very it's it's work to feel like you've rebuilt it especially because suicide could feel like a rupturing of the relationship sometimes like an abandonment or a betrayal by the person who died um but but 
but it doesn't have to end the connection. The other thing that I would say is I I don't know if you knew him, Joe, but did you know Terry Maltzberger at all or of no. him? Okay. So the psychiatrist that was at McLean's who spent most of his career working with suicidal patients and teaching psychiatric residents about working with suicidal patients. And I once heard Terry talking to an audience of, I think it was mainly parents who had lost uh, children to suicide. And a woman in the audience got up and said, Dr. Maltzberger, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with myself. You know, my, my daughter has killed herself and I'm, I'm shattered. I don't, I don't know how to pick myself. What am I supposed to do with myself? And Terry said, without missing a beat, Terry said, well, don't waste your grief. And I mm -hmm. thought, wow, what an impressive thing to say. And Terry was saying, this is, this is not a small change. I had trouble coming up with small changes, but this is an aspirational goal that I would offer to people is um, uh, find a way to make something redemptive come out of this, mm. this tragedy that you've had in your life, whether it's for you to become a better person, for you to change your belief system to a more hopeful or positive one, to be of service to other survivors, you know, to become an activist about that. Um Whatever form it takes, um, appreciate just life better. Um, um, find a way to make something redemptive come out of this. And I think that's extremely wise advice. Mm. Thank you. Becky, small changes. Yeah, this is hard. I mean, there's so many small changes, like go for a walk outside, which I highly recommend. Get a dog. Um, that's my biggest piece of advice. My real answer to that... <laughs> is an odd answer, which is allow yourself to believe new things. Mm -hmm. Believe that the impossible, know that the impossible is possible. Mm -hmm. Allow yourself to believe new things and mm -hmm. you will be very surprised when you open your mind instead of decide what you know is the truth mm -hmm. and what is the only truth. Mm -hmm. Those only truths are standing in the way of like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. an amazing life. Mm. Powerful. Yes. So the second truth of the I am, everyone has one. Everyone is interested in what you think or feel about them through their IC domain. And you know, feels different when you feel respected or disrespected. When's the last time you got angry at someone treating you with respect? This means because you're part of someone's home or social domain, you control no one, but you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. I'll start with you again, Dr. Jordan. Dr. Jack Jordan, what kind of influence do you want to be? I want to be uh, a person who uh, offers people hope, particularly suicide loss survivors. Um, and when I work with people, when I from the from the moment I start working with a suicide loss survivor, I am looking for ways to gently and in small ways, maybe this is a small change, to start planting seeds of hope that will. Uh, germinate and grow at some point. I remember saying to Becky once, and I have a 
video clip of this. Uh, you know, you're not going to be able to believe what I'm going to say to you right now, but I want I want you to hear the words and try to hang on to them because in some at some point in time, I'm hopeful that they're going to ring true for you. And so I I think if I could plant seeds of hope in people, I would be happy. I feel like I've I've done my job. Rebecca Ladd, you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. What kind of influence do you want to be? Oh, God, again, a difficult question for me. I want to be by my example, inspirational to people who are lost and desolate and have stopped living. I would like them to see that there is joy and meaning and purpose in a great, incredibly grand way that if they would see it, if they can see it, that this experience of life is, is quite remarkable. I'd like to reach the bereaved and the grieving and the sad. But I don't think I can beat Jack's seeds of hope. It's, believe me, there's no competition here. It's everything is helping everyone. And I want to thank both of you for being here tonight to talk about such a powerful subject. And if it's okay with you, I'd like to thank David as well. Thank you. Being he, here as well. He is here. So thank That's beautiful, you, yeah. He is speaking to you. I, I trust you. That's me. beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> he told so thank me. You. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank He thanks you too. Everybody, thanks. it's powerful. Please remember that you are not alone in this, that there are always people here for you to worry with, to be with, to be supported by, and to support. So, with that in mind, thanks everyone for being here. Thanks for your Good night. Thank Good you. night. Good night.